Hey guys, Kevin here. Um, sorry about the lateness of the show. Uh, I wanted to uh, pull out our top 10 earlier this year, but I just happened to actually have to move at the same time. So amongst all the boxes and everything that is still the mess that is left in the Valley Studios, uh, here is finally, I guess, the top 10 uh, for the last show of the 2019. It's just kind of coming out in early 2020. Sorry about that, but anyway, enjoy. <laughs> and I am Robert M. Price. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray. And Hi, I'm Karen Lumley Care. Hi, I'm Aaron Roy. Hi, I'm Marissa Alexa McCool. Hi, I'm Jerry DeWitt. Hi, this is David Smalley from Dogma Debate. Hi, this is Dan Barker. Hi, I'm John McComb from The John McComb Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Drance. Hi, I'm Richard Carrier. Hi, I'm Rhonda Tyson. Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of The Thinking Atheist. Hey, guys, I'm Kara Santa Maria. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald. Hi, I'm Brian Keith Dalton. Hi, this is Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Distance, and we took a left of the valley. We did take a left of the valley. And the wrong turn in Albuquerque. And then <laughs> like, the left of the valley goes right to a glory hole. It's it like right to a glory hole. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you with the last show, finally at the end of the year, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I welcome you to the top 10 of Left of the Valley 2019. Although I'm really glad you could spend uh, most of the year with us uh, talking to some very interesting and fantastic guests as per usual. Uh, we did uh, do as we traditionally do at the end of the year, and we pick essentially a top 10 of um, the shows that were picked by you. Basically, the listener as to what were your favorites. Um, of course, it just went by listenership. So these are essentially a top ten of uh, all the shows that we had during the year, and a fantastic, fantastic guest uh, that you guys picked, and the most downloaded show were essentially, you know, that's how we ranked them. So I gave the girls a night off today, so you're just dealing with me today, and I apologize in advance for the show being a bit late. I've been in the middle of a move and all that, so. Left of the Valley Studios have moved a bit further south, <laughs> in a way. So, anyway, let's move on to uh, our top ten of night. Oh, wow, I just about said 1999. Jeez, where the hell am I? Top ten of 2019 of Left of the Valley. So let's get to it. Number ten. Coming in number 10 is one of our favorite guests, always the incredible David Fitzgerald. We had David early on this year several times to talk about his book uh, about uh, time shards, but this time we actually had him on about talk about the historicity, not of Jesus, but of other characters like Moses and Abraham. And uh, where does that go and where does that lead? Let's find out. Let's listen in. Well, yeah, I mean, everything you said about Moses is, is dead on. Here's the funny thing, though. Um, Moses probably didn't exist at all. Mm -hmm. And I know I get a lot of crap from Christians and atheists for saying that Jesus didn't exist at all. And, and a lot of the other New Testament figures didn't exist at all. But the funny thing about Moses is when you're talking about Moses, uh, Samson, uh, Joshua, Abraham, most of the heavy hitters in the Old Testament, that's not controversial at all. 
to say that those guys didn't exist. That's currently the overwhelming scholarly position among non-Christian scholars. Of mm-hmm. course, the Christian scholars are still saying that the Adam and Eve and the snake existed, and Noah put all the animals in a boat. So, but but against uh, objective scholars and archaeologists, um, th- not only did they not find any evidence for that, but they have all this evidence that um, that at best the Exodus story is an allegory, and um, th- and the origins of the Hebrew people are much more rooted in Palestine itself. Um, but but uh, all these all these tribes that get mentioned in the Old Testament as being the enemies of the Hebrews, like the Midianites and the Moabites and the Ammonites, um, it looks like originally Hebrews were Canaanites just like them. Mm. Number nine. Coming in number nine, we had Joe Backen. Joe Backen is a uh, professor in uh, corporate law and uh constitutional law uh, right here in Canada UBC and uh, he did this fabulous uh, book he wrote this fabulous book in early 2000 that became a great Canadian documentary called The Corporation so uh, the premise of all this was basically uh, if a corporation is a person regarded as a person under the law then what kind of person what kind of let's psychoanalyze what kind of person a corporation is it was a very very revealing uh, talk with Joel Backen and we'll certainly have him on again because apparently he's writing a new book that should be coming out really, really soon as we air this. So um, let's listen in. So in the U.S., they had their own particular history. And basically, the 14th Amendment was designed to give rights to freed slaves uh, to ensure that they had equality. And some really clever corporate lawyers in the late 19th century said, hey, you know, we can jump on that uh, bandwagon, too, and we can say that we deserve rights. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, promote an interpretation before the courts that says that corporations are persons, too, just like freed slaves. And so they should also be able to take advantage of the rights that are granted there. So they should also get equality and they should get freedom of speech and they should get liberty. So that's how it happened in the United States. In Canada, the way it happened, you know, our charter wasn't uh, brought into the Constitution until 1982. And what happened as soon as it was brought in, and again, some clever lawyers came along for tobacco companies this time and said, You know, we don't like restrictions on tobacco advertising, so we're going to say that as corporate persons, we can avail ourselves of the charter's guarantee of free speech. And they succeeded in that. And they managed to get the law struck down. So in every country, it happens a little bit differently. But the essentials of it are this, that first, the law determines that this collective of shareholders is just one person, the corporate person. And second... The law grants rights to that person, often rights under the Constitution that allow that person to challenge government's attempts to regulate it. Number eight. Coming in number eight was our very revealing talk with Andrew Torres. Andrew Torres, you remember, is uh, from uh, uh, Opening Arguments podcast. And he's also the lawyer for the guys in the Puzzle and the Thunderstorm group. Um, lo- uh, 2019 saw kind of a resurgence, especially in the States, of um, anti-abortion movement uh, that is uh, basically pushed by Christians. And uh, for us Canadians, you know, it kind of leaves you with your head scratching because up here in Canada, the the thing has been pretty much settled for a long time. However, we are seeing people that are uh, conservatives that are trying to model the same way. 
with the Republican handbook, if you wish, to trying to model to bring this kind of Republican-style politics up here in Canada. So we thought we'd ask Andrew Torres about explain to us, Kenny, is in the same way, explain to also to our American listeners, maybe the whole abortion debacle that's been going on in the States, and he had quite a lot of things to say about it. So it was a fantastic show, and let's listen in to what that sounded like. Every major polling institution in this country, uh, when you ask in a neutral fashion uh, where individuals stand on abortion rights, uh, it, it shows anywhere from significant to overwhelming majorities in favor of abortion rights, particularly in the first trimester of a, of a woman's pregnancy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, as you start slicing that pie more narrowly, you get, you know, you get more, um, nuanced answers and you can get smaller and smaller majorities. Um, but this is, we are in the United States, a, a pro choice nation. Um, and, and rather overwhelmingly so, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the position that, um, semen meeting an egg equals a human being is uh, held only by you know a tiny tiny minority fraction in this country unfortunately um, due to gerrymandering and all of the structural problems inherent in this country um, it, it is it, it is a a very popular minority position uh, but it is still the position of a distinct minority now so, so you see you say uh, right. that this is a political problem you guys are having yeah Shocking. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> Number seven. In the seventh position, we had the return of Dr. Hector Garcia. After he came on the show for explaining his book, Alpha God, he came back with a second book called Sex, Power, and Partisanship and really took an evolutionary psychology look into politics and why we have such a profound divide, left versus right, and uh, why, you know, sometimes even though uh, your whichever side you stand on might not be right. You still will, you know, kind of avoid looking at the mistakes and and count the wins and avoid the misses. And it was a very very revealing um, talk into the primitive beast that's still Homo sapiens, even though we have a tendency to think of ourselves as something better than the average uh, creature in the animal kingdom. Doctor Hector Garcia kind of brought us back to to earth with that book. So let's listen in. With my uh, with my neighbors and family in the U.S. And, and then we started seeing some things like when they were running for the leadership for the Conservative Party here in Canada, and you saw guys like Kevin O'Leary, Kevin O'Leary, who's one of the stars from Dragon Den, uh, which is like Shark Tank essentially. And you know he starts spewing all the same kind of lies that Trump is using. Oh, I've got the best, I've got the best advice, I've got the best money, I've got the best words, and he's he's coming up with these outrageous ideas, and you're thinking, oh my God, this is the same same kind of tactic. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey just did what he does best. He's a clinical I know, no, he's totally unlike he right us, now. No, he asked us a question, and then he was quiet, and what happened? We, we took over asked. the whole interview. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to wonder Hector. if he just hung up and just left no. and got himself a coffee, he you know? Had, he probably pulled a out a pen and a paper and it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, wait a minute. We, we're on to you now, buddy. Come on, let's come back in the conversation. I'm going to my goatee right now. He's by the couch I, there's a point to what you guys are talking about and it's and it's it's also very primitive and that that's that's one of the things I tried to answer with this book is that 
We know it. We know it when we watch the spectacle unfold on the news. We know that it's primitive. We know that it's irrational. We know that that, you know, huge swaths of society are, are on this runaway horse and you know, who's controlling this? Mm-hmm. And and so my, my thought was to to try and make sense of it all because when we look at surface level phenomenon, it just it just is, does not satisfy as an explanation. The evolutionary sciences really get to to the core of what drives all of this irrational behavior number six coming in number six is none other than incredible seth andrews host of the thinking atheist radio podcast uh seth and i didn't quite see eye to eye we were talking about free speech and all this really was prompted by a uh, little obscure known uh, law that happened here in canada but the americans didn't seem to really take hold of it about uh, the, one of the provinces, uh, the province of Quebec, my home province, basically, uh, decided to kind of enforce, by law, secularism, uh, especially when it came to employees of the government. So, in other words, when you're an employee of the government in Quebec right now, as we speak, you are not allowed to wear your little cross, or your yakima, or your turban, or whatever else, your veil, your uh, headscarf, whatever. And there was a lot of ink that was written down about that. A lot of people are condemning the practice. I actually stand on the other side for this. And it really kind of opened up the debate about free speech. And there's a difference between free speech in Canada and the U.S. Which system is better? Seth seemed to fall on the side that, you know, uh, you, you only bring more free speech with just free speech. You just unfeathered free speech. Him and I disagreed on that, but it was certainly an interesting ex- exchange, and I have nothing but respect for Seth and his opinion. So let's check in on what that sounded like. Well, we have anti-incitement laws mm. here. I mean, you know, you, you the, the difficulty is, is that what is incitement? There are some very clear demonstrations of someone inciting another to violence. And, you know, go, hey, get your gun, go out and harm someone else is an incitement to violence. Mm-hmm. And that speech is not a free speech uh, thing. It, that's actually a... It's a crime. It's you're you are prompting or, or promoting the harm of another human being. You are breaking the law. Um, one of the free speech discussions that I hear, though, is when someone comes out and they say, I hate this person. Mm. You know, the uh, freaking, you know, clan comes out and they say, we hate non-whites or we mm. think they're subhuman or whatever. And this tremendously toxic and abhorrent speech. And they'll hear that and say, those are incitements to violence. And that's when these waters get really turbulent because uh, there isn't a direct go out and hurt people, but there is the dehumanization of other human beings, you know, and many people believe that that dehumanization is part of a model that creates um, the violence against non-whites by people, you know, organizations like clan organizations, the white supremacist groups, neo-Nazis, etc. So it's it's a messy thing. I I myself would rather see, and this sounds like a freaking Mentos commercial, but I would just <laughs> rather see us overwhelm the hate with demonstrations of love and morality and goodness and acceptance and respect for all human beings mm-hmm. of all shapes, stripes, colors, backgrounds, creeds, etc. And um, 
that way, you know, otherwise I think you're just swatting at the symptoms yeah, of yes. hatred. You're swatting at, you know, these outward actions that they do, even if you make them illegal, you still haven't dealt much with the root that drives that type of speech. And I think you have to go and solve it at the root level. Number five. Already halfway through, and we were talking to Dr. Matthew Hussinger about conspiracy theories. Now, there's an interesting phenomenon that's got a lot of, uh, maybe a resurgence. There's always been conspiracy theories as far as mankind has been concerned. But in 2019, they really, you know, they really went overboard there. There's a resurgence in the flat earth. There was resurgence in, you know, a whole bunch of things. Uh, people are pretend to be, quote-unquote, woke while pushing the most ridiculous, ridiculous theories out there and of course with no 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 facts to back it up and you know the the ridiculous pushback of oh you need to go do some research well you know doing research is not necessarily just googling something real quick on youtube um so it was very interesting to talk to dr matthew hussinger about the mentality and what actually goes on in the mind of somebody who thinks he or she is quote awoke enough to see behind the curtain of the cabal they think that is in charge of the world and of course Christina had certainly to pipe in about that because certainly if somebody who was raised in a family where conspiracy theories were on the everyday menu it certainly was her so let's listen in to what that sounded like so Christina I, I'll start with your point because I think that's a really that's a really interesting um, insightful observation mm-hmm. from you know that you have from growing up in that kind of family and I think that you are spot on that that there is there's something that believing in a conspiracy gives you in terms of number one feeling special. And actually, correlational studies on conspiratorial thinking finds that the more, the stronger a person's desire to feel special, the more likely they are to to believe in, in a conspiracy. So, um, so that research lines up perfectly with what you mm-hmm. are saying and what you it sounds like what you might have experienced. Because yeah, it does. I mean, we all want to feel special. Right, and in, in more individ, individualistic cultures, we want to feel unique mm-hmm. in addition to feeling special. And so, yeah, believing that that you are part of this small group of humans who know the truth, and everyone else is being duped. Yes, yes. Um, that can certainly lead to feeling special. And actually, I see that um, I see that happening, for example, a lot in the flat Earth community because that's, yes, that's a community yeah. that I follow. Where you know, I mean, at the conferences you'll you know the video footage I've seen it really I that really does come across to me that that people are feeling like they're part of this special group they have this special knowledge um and you know and I actually see a lot of parallels and I'm not saying this to disparage uh religion in any way but I I've heard religious people use the same kind of language mm-hmm. um yeah. people who are fundamentalist evangelical well they'll say well you know we know the truth like we have the path to salvation yep. And you all, everyone else is going to hell. Number four. Now, the number four spot, my must admit, was a complete surprise to me. Uh, the, hab- uh, the happy atheist, Lilith Star, came in at number four. Uh, I really did not expect that. I mean, uh, Satanists are always an, a fun subject to talk about. Uh, but, you know, I always kind of thought it was a bit of a niche thing. But no, it turns out, you know, the Satanists came out and drove. Or our audience really, really loved talk about, uh, talking to and about Lilith Star and what she does as a Satanist and the whole subject altogether. So, uh, you know, it was a pleasant surprise to see that. But there she is, a number four, the happy Satanist, Lilith Star. So let's listen in. And this, and in come this guy with his black robe, hooded black robe. <laughs> 
and he raises his hands and he's about to advocate something and all the Christians start standing up over their Bible they're reading reading passages of the Bible some kind of counter spell to whatever he was going to say it was absolutely brilliant to see the fear of these people thinking they're just just like primitive 19 no, not even 19 you know so we're just going to open our Bible and we're just going to say this, the power of Christ compels you and the, you, the hoping this guy's going to melt away or something <laughs> right yeah, it, it, it's, oh, it's, it's brilliant and Lilith of course knows this I'm just, I'm just propping propping up the strategy is that the brilliant is that it's obvious yes instead of saying don't do that you know and, and creating you know that that disharmony and creating that antagonism is well you do it we have the right to do yes. it too live with it <laughs> and they can't stand it it's right. I mean, it's gorgeous isn't it <laughs> yeah, nobody wants Satan in the government, so that it kind of makes a lot of people consider, well, maybe we shouldn't have any religion in government. It's, yeah. it, I, I call it the ridiculous inaction, because yeah. <laughs> they, they have a statue of the Ten Commandments and say, well, you know, yeah, it's perfectly normal, until you put an eight-foot statue of the goat-headed Baphomet there, and yeah. you say, this is bloody freaking ridiculous, but it's there! It's there, and it has a huge impact, and I just love it. Number three. Coming down the home stretch, we got Andrew Jasko, who started meeting with us and talk about interesting ways, maybe emotional ways, to deal with religious trauma. Andrew is a bit of a coach and a uh, counselor when it comes to these matters, and he certainly had some interesting um, insights into how to deal with religious trauma, which is an episode we also repeat later on with uh, psychologist uh, Dr. Del Rey and Dr. Wynell. Uh, but that didn't quite make it in time to do the top 10. But in the meantime, let's listen in to Andrew Jasko and dealing with religious trauma. I mean, there there are so many huge issues and traumas that it causes. Uh, but really, it starts with judgments. Mm. And the whole system is based on judgment. And the Bible is, first of all, I, I like to call it biblical abuse because a lot of people will try to distract us and create diversions from the issue and say it's the fault of religious fundamentalism yes. or of a particular interpretation of the Bible. But all kinds of atrocious and harmful doctrines are right there in the scripture in very simple plain and apparent language. A lot of the times we're not dealing with like Kant or really abstract philosophy. This is plain, straightforward commands that are very difficult to misinterpret. And it's in the Bible. The Bible is the source of the abuse. And if you read it and take the Bible seriously, you'll see all kinds of abuse. Mm -hmm. So it's based on judgment. It starts out with judgment. God condemns Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. He judges them. They've sinned. They're cast out. And throughout the Bible, judgment is one of the main issues, good and evil, right and wrong, obedience or disobedience. There's hell and heaven. And, and then in the end, in the book of Revelation, it ends with God and Jesus invading the planet with weapons of mass destruction in the plagues of Revelation, literally destroying almost all of nature, most of humanity, and judging people forever. So this system of judgment is inherently abusive. Number two. Our number two spot goes to none other than the incredible Matt Dillahunty, host of the Thinky, uh, ooh, sorry, the Atheist Experience <laughs> and uh, Atheist Debates and a whole bunch of things on YouTube as well. Matt is 
probably a master when it comes to debating, and it's an art that he's refined over the years. And I'm, I even admitted during the show that actually I find rather intimidating to interview. He's one of the few guys I find rather intimidating to interview. I'm afraid I'm always going to say something incredibly stupid. Um, that's an interesting character. I met him a couple of years ago in person at uh, a conference here in Vancouver. And, you know, the funny thing is, uh, I've told this story before, um, when I met Matt, he was, you know, kind of standing by himself there, kind of looking around and uh, seeing what things were happening. And I was kind of like, wow, this is Matt Delhunty. Well, wow, it's amazing. So I went and introduced myself. And he, he struck me as somebody who um, was uneasy in a crowd. And I've always wondered that about him, although I never really asked him. Maybe I really should in the future. Uh, it's only when I pulled him aside... Uh, and uh, we went to a, a separate little room to do an interview we had um, prearranged that it basically snapped into place and he became the Matt Dillahunty that we all know and see on TV. So it, 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 he's a very, very interesting character. He's incredibly smart. And, you know, he's really fun to hang around, too, uh, with. So I'd be I'd be very curious to bring him back. And he did say that the next time he wants to be on the show, he wants Kirsten to do the interview because during that interview she didn't say a peep at all so <laughs> we have to bring Matt Delonte back and um, if you know what you'd like to ask Matt Delonte give me a give me a heads up send me an email or something like that because to be quite frank I'd love to bring him back but I'm not sure what to ask him uh, you know you can always ask about the atheist experience and all that but we've done that now so what what else would you we'd like to talk to uh, to Matt Dillahunty. I like to lean towards philosophy, but you know, to be quite honest, I'm not a philosophy guy. I'm not sure what I would go with that. So anyway, if you know what you want me and the crew to ask Matt Dillahunty for the next time he's around, send me an email, left.valley at outlook.com. So anyway, in the meantime, let's listen in to the incredible Matt Dillahunty. Like, I understand it's very unlikely that I'm going to change the mind of the person that I'm actually on the phone with. So they're not as much my target as the people who are listening who share those views. That's because they they have the protection of not being under fire at that moment. Mm -hmm. and, and so I know, plus I play a number of games while I'm on the show. One of them is to see how quickly I can figure out exactly where the call is going, yeah. what they're going to say. And then the other is to find different ways to address the same thing. Because if I just said the same thing every week, but that would be awful. Mm -hmm. And anybody who watches one show would never need to watch another. Mm -hmm. But if I try and address things from a couple different directions, uh, it keeps it entertaining for me. And I don't know. I, it's, I don't get frustrated because I know the data show that we are, the nuns are winning, essentially, that yeah. we're you know, growing. I get plenty of feedback from people. And... Somebody will say, oh, you've got the patience of a saint. And somebody will say, you're an impatient jerk. <laughs> and as long as I'm getting those in roughly equal proportions, I think I'm okay. <laughs> but I do take like, – there was a guy that emailed this week, and we had – we argued back and forth for two or three days. Um, and at the end, he was like, well, clearly you're Mr. Logically Perfect Know-It-All, and uh, you just don't want people to call your show, and you're not interested in feedback. And I was like, I have 30,000 unread emails. Holy crap. I oh. have spent three days now exchanging a series of like 10, 7, 8, 9, 10 emails with this person. If I didn't care about feedback, I wouldn't have bothered to reply to them at all. Yeah. And, and it's one thing that, that's frustrating, not just – this isn't about the show. This is just across the board. And that's the fact that when two people disagree, 
there's a tendency to just throw up your hands and do this. Well, you're just terrible or you're just not interested in the con, you know, the conversation or anything else. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. And you would think that two people that are supposedly speaking the same language wouldn't have such difficulty communicating, mm -hmm. but they do. And we do all of us. I just want to take a quick second here before we hit our number one. Uh, I just want to do a um, honorable mention, if you wish, during the year, we uh, also had a philosophy talk. We called it Philosophy 101 with our friend Robert Stanley. Um, I'm not a big proponent of philosophy, as you know that. Robert is. He studies philosophy. He likes to really discuss about it. He's very good at it, too. And he gave us a bit of a lesson on Philosophy 101. I'm still a bit on the fence, but you know what? Robert has done a good enough job to kind of somewhat persuade me that he's probably correct about this. Maybe I should look more into philosophy to the future. Anyway, so here's Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast with Philosophy 101. Let's listen into what that sounded like. Let me ask you this. If you take a boat, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just call it uh, a ship, as it were. The SS And you remove... What's that? The SS Minnow. The SS Minnow. You remove... <laughs> That's an old reference, man. Over the years... You have to remove all the nails from the ship because the boards start to rot, right? Yeah. And you've you you built this ship with your bare hands, and then your son tries to keep the ship afloat, tries to keep the ship functional, right? Mm -hmm. And then your grandson is is dealing with rotting wood, and he's just working trying to keep this thing going. Every time something goes wrong, he replaces it with something new. At what point? Does this ship, and let's not call it the SS Minnow, let's kind of do a little throwback to old school philosophy. Let's call it the ship of Theseus, okay. because that's actually the, uh, the, the analogy that I'm using. The ship of Theseus, Google it. If you're a listener and you're like, eh, that sounds kind of familiar. You're not wrong, kiddo. It is. The ship of Theseus was constantly being repaired over and over and over. And at some point along the way, after every board had been replaced, every nail, every every design flaw that had existed in generations in the past has been corrected. It might even look a little different. It might even be better. Maybe we put in, uh, instead of sails, we put in an engine, right? Mm -hmm. All these different things are happening. At what point does it cease to be Theseus's ship? When do you call it a different ship? Is it still the ship of Theseus? That's the problem of identity. Fair enough. Although we call it the different ship if Theseus sold the ship to somebody else. <laughs> but until then, it's still the ship if he owns it. Uh, but only because the new owner would rename it. Does really renaming a thing. If renaming that red apple, if you gave it the uh, the Spanish word for apple mm -hmm. or the French word for apple, which I know you're very fluent in French. What is the French word for apple, by the way? Pum. That's weird. But either way, <laughs> just renaming a thing, does that really change its its essential identity? And now here it is, the moment you've all been waiting for. It is... Number one. Our number one spot goes to Richard Carrier this year for 2019. We did a show with Richard Carrier. It's always a pleasure to have a historian on. Uh, it seems that our audience really likes the whole uh, mythicism thing. So we did a show on the history city, not of Jesus, because we do that all the time. It's, you know, we have it on a regular basis. But on the history city of legendary figures in the Bible or, or, or these kind of books. 
there was a lot of things I wanted to ask Richard Carey for that episode. And one of them was that uh, I, th- I actually do uh, believe that uh, he's correct, that uh, Jesus Christ probably was not a, uh, an actual person. Um, I do uh, have a tendency to align with him. Uh, but also that people have a tendency to say that Richard Carrier uh, is a bit of a fringe uh, opinion kind of guy. Um, but it's I don't think he is, and he's not. I think uh, the historians as a whole have a hard time speaking out about these things because it often can mean, you know, <laughs> essentially committing suicide on their job. <laughs> You know, they, they could lose their job for expressing an opinion that is very unpopular, especially when it, the, uh, a lot of historicity and the historians are funded, very well funded, by churches, etc., etc. So, anyway, this was a very interesting uh, um, talk that we always have with Richard Carey, and he's always welcome back, of course. So, uh, let, let's listen in to our number one show as picked by you, the listener, this year on the History City of Legendary Figures with Richard Carey. Uh, like you said, you're a mythicist, you don't think Jesus exists, and I completely agree with with you. But in the field, are people coming around to this idea? I, I get the feeling there's a lot of, you know, they don't want to speak up, but I think... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, well, I mean, there are good signs. It's too early, right? So um, we have a model uh, of, of having this happen before. So we've already, we've already been through this uh, with the patriarchs, with Moses and Abraham and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 70s, Thomas Thompson published a dissertation uh, arguing that they were mythical, that they didn't exist. And then everybody tried to destroy his career, mm-hmm. and there was massive backlash, and everyone was say, are citing the consensus. No, the whole consensus says they exist. How, how You're just this fringe scholar and so on. Uh, fast forward 10 to 20 years later, it's the mainstream consensus yeah. now that Moses and Abraham are, are, were mythical. Um, I don't know that the same thing will happen for Jesus, but I, I do predict that within 20 years, if you follow the same timeline, mm-hmm. um, that the the possibility, the hypothesis that he didn't exist will be respectable. Mm-hmm. Uh, with it. Even, even by scholars who, who don't agree with it will say, yeah, that's a viable possibility. I don't side with it. But um, And we already see this happening. I mean, Philip Davies, who's a, a prominent uh, emeritus professor in this field, a well-known author, and scroll. he wrote an article uh, basically lambasting people for criticize for, for basically trying to dismiss it as fringe and saying, no, look, I'm a historicist. I think Jesus existed, but actually they have a case like this. This yeah. There is a case to be made. Um, of course, he's not defending the amateur crank stuff, the internet conspiracy theory mm-hmm. arguments, yeah. which is lots of terrible stuff online about arguing that Jesus didn't exist that is bad. Um, but I, that's what the point of my trying to get my book published was to try to push away, get rid of all the garbage stuff and see what's left over. And that's, you know, that's why I try to do my best to come up with, is there anything I can produce that would pass peer review that, mm-hmm. that isn't crank? Uh, and that resulted in on the historicity of Jesus. And so scholars are looking at this, you know, some of them are hostile to it because they're threatened by it. Um, but others are willing to say like, okay, like I don't agree with the conclusion, but I, I agree that this is actually a plausible theory. It deserves a ta- place at the table along with all the other contradictory theories of the origins of Christianity that are respectable in the field. Um, so that is happening. I mean, when I published the book in 2014, mm-hmm. so mind you, this is the first time in history, the theory has been bounced around for like 100 years, 
But 2014 is the first time in history a peer-reviewed defense of it was ever published. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that starts the clock, really. Um, and so we're only, you know, five years on since that. And at the time, there were about four of us, uh, fully qualified PhD people with the right uh, PhDs in the right field and so on, who were mythicists who were saying, like, yeah, we actually think there's not a historical Jesus or not enough evidence to believe there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're up to 12. Um, oh. If you include um, – well, actually, we're up to about 10, 9 or 10 – uh, of at least agnostics, historicity agnostics, and twelve if you count uh, scholars like Philip Davies who say that it is it's it's a plausible theory at least. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was I was telling you I was telling the girls exactly that. I said you know uh, the thing is uh, some people will say you're, you're a French historian stuff like that, but you're so bloody thorough. I'm, I'm looking at one of your books right now. I've got on my bookshelf, <laughs> Hitler, Homer, Bible, Christ. Uh, right. You're so bloody thorough in your notes. It's like you, you cannot fault Richard Carrier on his work. This is the thing, right? It's like how how are you how are you going to dismiss his work? You can't because he's so bloody thorough. So they have to start taking you seriously at this point. And I think I think you're right. I think you will be vindicated. It might take a while because it's Jesus, Moses. It's a bit more easy to dismiss mm-hmm. because he's not the Lord and Savior. But Jesus might take a little longer. Well, yeah, I think you will. we know, uh, you know, Thomas Kuhn. You know, the theory of paradigms uh, through history. We look at like revolutions in consensus always start with tremendous opposition and take really a long time and mm-hmm. and uh, you know one of the points that that Kuhn argued is that well if you look at the actual course of events for the, all these revolutions and consensus through all these different fields um, it's generally like you have to have the old guard die off practically and so yeah. the new guard can come in and and look at things with fresh eyes and they don't have the the prior commitments that, that sort of lock them into these things so so you kind of need a new generation of scholars to really push the ball forward. And there it was, the top 10 of Best of Left Out Rally 2019, as voted by you, the listener. So I sure hope you enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed the year. I certainly enjoyed the uh, the guests that we had, the many guests, the fantastic guests that we have. We always seem to have very great caliber guests on the show, which is quite amazing for a little show like ours. Uh, but it's always great that we have that uh, these people willing to come on and share their wisdom, their experience with you, the listener. I could not even begin to start enumerating the stuff I've learned on this podcast over the five, eh, almost six years now that we've been doing this show. It certainly has changed my life, and I hope it has changed yours as well for the better. So thank you so much for joining us today on the show, and thank you for all my guests in the past year, and uh, we'll certainly see a lot of them come back in the next year. Thank you to you, the listener, for following us and listening to us. We certainly appreciate it, and thank you for my co-hosts. They're taking a break today, and they well deserve one. You can follow us at leftatvalue.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LEPU Podcast. Send us an email at leftatvalue at outlook.com. Give us a five-star review where you find us. It helps us and it helps others find the show. You can send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor. Dodge and ink and a knife. Uh, what else am I missing here? Um, you can always become a pat- uh, patron on uh, Patreon slash LETV, like our friend 332215 and Adrian, and you will get a lot of behind-the-scenes look. Uh, uh, all the stuff that actually happens, it's an unedited, no commercials, no touching whatsoever show. It's very different than what you usually hear <laughs> on the radio. Um... Well, I don't know what's coming up for the new year. I don't have my schedule in front of me, but anyway, I believe we're starting the year with Tracy Harris, so that'll be interesting. So, anyway, guys, until 2020, until next time.
Physically intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last Only true on a regional scale Science is universal Or you can say that Horus isn't real But Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told And believe in the God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance And you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claim Something to be ashamed I'm an atheist I'm an atheist I'm an atheist I'm an atheist Now let me take a sec Don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God Pun intended I find it disgraceful That thousands of children Are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God They get away scot-free to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them Fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now Is to attack them The parties of God's hands Are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone Speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer